Certainly great to see Stuart Rankin again. It gives us hope in the resurrection of what is yet to come. Of course, I think I heard Stuart say that the report of his recent demise had been greatly exaggerated, which is typical of our good friend, the Reverend Stuart Rankin. What a blessing he is to us and what an encouragement to all of us. It's also wonderful on the other spectrum of things to see some of our brigade fellows with us and to be encouraged in the way in which they are recognizing the biblical principles of the family and the importance of working not only with the young person himself but in the context of the family, which is what God has ordained. Now this evening we are continuing in our series of the covenants that God has established with men and tonight we're continuing continuing with Noah, the covenant of preservation. Noah, the covenant of preservation. Let us hear then from God's word, Genesis chapter 9, beginning to read at verse 1. Genesis chapter 9, beginning to read at verse 1. Then God blessed Noah and his son, saying to them, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. The fear and dread of you will fall upon all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air, upon every creature that moves along the ground, and upon all the fish of the sea. They are given into your hands. Everything that lives and moves will be food for you. Just as I gave you the green plants, so now I give you everything. But you must not eat the meat that has the lifeblood still in it. And for your life, blood, I will surely demand an accounting. I will demand an accounting from every animal and from each man, too. I will demand an accounting for the life of his fellow man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made man. As for you, be fruitful and increase in number. Multiply on the earth and increase upon it. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you and with your seed after you and with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals, all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth. I establish my covenant with you Never again will all life be cut off by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is the sign of the covenant I am making between me and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. 
So God said to Noah, This is the sign of the covenant I have established between me and all life on the earth. Noah, the covenant of preservation. Let us pray. We come, O Heavenly Father, and thank you that ever since the days of Noah, you have been faithful to that covenant. And we thank you that we today and our families and the generations to come, so long as Christ tarries, will be blessed by that covenant. We thank you for the beauty of the sign of this covenant, the rainbow in the cloud. Give us encouragement, O Heavenly Father, that when we appear threatened by judgment, we can know the grace of God even then. We thank you for your word that will never change, and we put our trust in it. For we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Now, in the first three chapters of Genesis, you have the establishment in the beginning of the covenant of creation, a bond of life and death in which man had to keep the law of God perfectly in order to receive the blessing of God. Then, upon man's fall, immediately, even as God is speaking the word of judgment because man had broken the covenant of creation, you have the word of blessing as he establishes the covenant of redemption. God binds himself to sinful fallen man and says, I shall raise up a seed from the woman, and that seed shall enter into mortal conflict with the seed of Satan. And even though the seed of Satan may crush the heel of the seed of the woman, the seed of the woman shall prevail. And we know that that promise of Genesis 3.15 was fulfilled in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. As Satan crushed his heel in the crucifixion on the cross, so Christ crushed Satan's head and destroyed his power. We know also that that conflict between the two seeds, the seed of the woman and the seed of Satan, is something that has been the basis for the whole of history as it is unfolded from the time of man's fall into sin. Now that's Genesis chapter 3. Now in Genesis 4 through 11, you have the development of those two seeds, of those two lines, the seed of Satan, and there you see murder as Cain rises up and kills his brother. You see Lamech in his bringing of bigamy, of having more than one wife, in his murdering a man, in his boastful pride and saying, if God can avenge seven times, I will avenge 70 times seven. You can see the violence that covers all of the earth as the seed of Satan multiplies. You see also the seed of the woman. You see as Enoch and Lamech walk with God, another Lamech, And you see Noah walking with God. You see the faith of Noah's father as he says, this will be the one that will deliver us from the curse upon the ground. And you see God maintaining by grace the seed of the woman as well. Now in the midst of Genesis chapter 4 through 11, you have God establishing the covenant with Noah. In the midst of those chapters... And you see in the development of the covenant with Noah, God's attitude toward both these lines. What is his attitude toward the seed of Satan? Well, he is going to destroy them utterly. 
He is going to wipe them completely from the face of the earth, as the flood demonstrates. And what is his attitude toward the seed of the woman? He is going to show unmerited favor. He is going to show grace, his mercy, toward the seed of the woman. Now it's in that context, text then, that we look at the covenant that God establishes with Noah. And tonight we're going to look at three main emphases that are found in God's covenant with Noah. Three emphases that are found in the covenant with Noah. And the first of these is the interrelation with creation. The interrelation with creation. Now that's a little catchy. You can remember that, can't you? The interrelation with creation. That's one of the main emphases that the covenant with Noah establishes. What does that mean, interrelation with creation? Well, it means that the redemption of man, the deliverance of man from sin, is just as broad as God's intent in the creation of man. Some people think of salvation as a very small, narrow kind of thing. Just get them saved. Get them baptized. Let them be born again. And that's the whole of the ministry of the church. The whole concept is to get one saved so that another can be saved in a very narrowly conceived sense. Now let's be careful here. Obviously, that is a most critical thing. That is a most important thing. And we praise God and we should be very much involved as much as possible in sharing the gospel with those that are not saved and rejoicing as heaven does in one sinner that repents and comes to salvation. But we must ask also, saved, so what? What is the reason of salvation? And the scripture says that you have been saved, you have been born again, you have been baptized in order that you might perform the good works that God has before ordained that you are to perform. Now just think about it. Before the foundation of the world, God determined to save you because he wanted you to do specific works. That's Ephesians 3, 8 and 9 plus 10. Don't forget, plus 10. Ephesians 3, 8 and 9, plus 10. You are created in Christ Jesus that you might do good works that God has before ordained that you are to accomplish. God has a plan, a wonderful plan for your life. If you will look to Jesus Christ, and that wonderful plan is not just that you be saved in an instant, but that you perform good works that he has planned for you to perform. As broad as the intentions of God in creation are the intentions of God in redemption. And that is underscored at several points in the covenant language that God uses in establishing his relationship with Noah. Look at them. First of all, look back at Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, and notice the original creational mandate that God establishes. Genesis 1, 28, the first part of that verse. God blessed Adam and Eve and said to them, Be fruitful, increase in number, and fill the earth. That's the marriage mandate. Now look, if you will, at Genesis chapter 9, as God is establishing his covenant with Noah, and, he said, and the scripture says, 
God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. Again in verse 7, As for you, be fruitful and increase in number, multiply on the earth and increase upon it. You see? The repetition of the very same phraseology says that in redemption you have as broad a responsibility, a privilege, and an obligation as you do in creation. To multiply and replenish the earth is a part of the pleasure and the obligation that we have as those that have been born again by the power of the Holy Spirit of God. Families and the marriage relationship is not a circumstance of convenience, but it is an ordering of God. And the family should be seen as a principal unit by which God advances his redemptive purposes in the world. When God says to Abraham, I'm going to multiply your seed, he's not thinking about a bunch of of rebellious rats. He's talking about children that will be obedient and raised in the knowledge and the admonition of the Lord. The establishing of the family and the redemption of the family is an essential aspect of God's covenant. Now, while we're on this matter, I want to say a word or two for you single people here. In one sense, I can say my condolences to you young men who don't know the great blessings of being in a marriage relationship. Maybe the Lord will favor you in that way someday. But also, you must see also that God has a wonderful plan, a wonderful purpose, and a wonderful way of blessing you in a single relationship as well. You are a part of that covenant relationship of God. Let me suggest that you read Isaiah chapter 56 and notice the blessing that God has promised for the single person. That in the covenant, he makes a covenant with you. And that your name shall, be, shall endure longer than that that could be maintained by sons and daughters. And in the concept of the covenant, we have not only the family community, but we have the church community. You look, go down sometime and look at that bulging enrollment of our nursery. Who can keep up with all those kids down there? That's a blessing that God has brought to our church. But listen, single folks, that's your blessing as well as the blessing of the parents. When each of those children is brought into the covenant family of God, you as well take a vow that you will endeavor to claim that child for Jesus Christ. Enter into that family of faith relationship with those children. If I could just share a little bit of my own experience as a young Christian, 15 years of age, first coming into a church. My mother was a believer, but my father was not. And so I came to church without a father. Now the two families that meant more to me than any other in that whole church relationship were two retired couples who had never had any children themselves. Both of those couples, white-haired and retired, but they took me, a little 15-year-old, and adopted me and the family of faith. They prayed for me every day. They counseled with me. They put their arm around their sho- my shoulders, and they constantly encouraged me. And whatever I am in terms of a servant of God this day, I attribute to a great degree 
to those two couples, childless couples, who adopted me in the family of faith. Now the third person that meant more to me than any other as a young 15-year-old who had just found the Lord Jesus Christ was another white-haired woman who had never married herself but constantly took me into her home, prayed with me, read the Bible with me, constantly encouraged me with a vision for serving the Lord. Past 70 years of age, she signed up for a correspondence course to become a creative writer for the Lord Jesus Christ. And she wrote every year the Christmas pageant for our church that was a tremendous blessing to all of us. And she most of all, as far as I was concerned, was a personal blessing to me as an individual. Now, you single people, that's your challenge. You're in this covenant relationship just as much as anyone else in this congregation. And you that have no children, you're just as much involved in the children of this church and their lives as anyone else. You pray for some. I had today in my office a woman who is here with children with no father who is a believer. She needs someone to help her in the raising of those children, in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And God has bound you to surround those young people and do your part in praying with them, praying for them, communicating with them, getting to know them by name, embracing them as a part of the covenant family of our Lord Jesus Christ. The redemptive covenant of God is just as broad in its dimensions as the creative covenant. Now you can see that it is also just as broad in terms of the work mandate. Look again at Genesis 1 verse 28. Here's what God said to man. Be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. That's a whole world, he says. Subdue the earth. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Now turn to Genesis chapter 9 again. As God is establishing the redemptive covenant with Noah, verse 2, and what do you see? The fear and the dread of you will fall upon the beasts of the earth, the birds of the air, upon every creature that moves up along the ground and upon all the fish of the sea. See, they are given into your hand. Driving to church this evening, you may have seen that moon. I couldn't help but think of one of our men in his astronaut suit was walking up there just a few years ago. Walking right up there. Now God has ordered that man as far as possible should use the resources of the power of the world that is here to subdue the earth to the glory of God. One of the important byproducts of our space program, as I understand, is the, is the growing of certain things out in space that can be produced much more rapidly out there than they can here on the earth. Now that is a fulfillment of the mandate that God has given to you particularly as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you should be a good workman in whatever your vocation may be. I had a young, well-meaning Christian come to me in 
one situation and he said, you know, I go to work to make enough bread to keep my body and soul together so I can go to church. Well, it's great that he loved to go to church, that he wanted to be among the people of God, but he needed to grow maybe just a little bit in his concept of what his work should be. The scripture says of King Uzziah in the book of Chronicles, the great king of Israel, that he loved the soil. He loved to get down and work with his hands in the soil. And if you haven't done so, you ought to try it. Get out into that dirt. How, how is it that that black stuff makes things grow? It is one of the most amazing things of God's creation. You should not lose your sense of wonder of the world that God has made. And whatever your work may be, whether it's in agriculture, whether it's in science, whether it's in accounting and computers, you should see God's hand there and your role being a one called of God to do the best job you can in subduing the earth to the glory of God. Now that doesn't mean that you as a Christian should come to the laws of Leviticus and try to figure out whether the Graham-Rudman law is the right one for this country and whether it should be applied across the board right now. That's not what it means to be a Christian in business. But it does mean to use all the wisdom of the created world for you to work with your hands, with your mind, with your heart. And as Paul says, as Christians, whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God, not to be seen of men. Be faithful and diligent in the job that God has called you. Do it with a whole heart committed to what God has called you to do. And that is a part of your covenant responsibilities. That is the way that you as a Christian will give glory to God. So we have the marriage relationship renewed in redemption. We have the work order renewed in redemption. And finally, if you remember, as we were treating the covenant of creation, we dealt also with the Sabbath principle, the principle of the Sabbath. Now, the Sabbath isn't particularly or specifically mentioned in the covenant with Noah. It's mentioned subsequently in some of the other covenants of both the Old and the New Testament. But notice this one verse, very interesting, Genesis chapter 5, verse 28, as it anticipates the covenant with Noah. When Lamech, who is the father of Noah, had lived 182 years, he had a son. He named him Noah which means rest. That's what Noah means, rest. And that's what the Sabbath is all about, rest. The Sabbath is a larger concept than just one day in seven. It is a movement of history toward rest from the curse of the ground. He named him Noah, rest, and said, he will comfort us in the labor and painful toil of our hands caused by the ground the Lord has cursed. So interrelationship, there they are. The basic elements of the creational covenant are renewed in the covenant of redemption. And you need to see your redemption as affecting the totality of your life and your pattern of living. Don't think that you can be pious here at home and yell at your, here in church and yell at your wife at home and think that you're 
fulfilling your covenant obligations. Don't think that you can do all sorts of busy work around the church and do a sloppy job at work and think that you are fulfilling your responsibilities as one redeemed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Interrelationship. Now a second element that is central to the covenant with Noah is what may be called particularism. Particularism. Particularism in the working of God's grace in the world. Genesis chapter 6 tells us of the state of man's soul in the days of Noah. Look at Genesis chapter 6 verses 5 and 6. The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. Now notice, every inclination of the thoughts of his heart were only evil all the time. Now that is what is called total depravity. Total depravity. What does that mean? It doesn't mean that man is as bad as he could be. Because the sins that man does are not as bad as some other sins that he could be doing. Not all sins are equally heinous in the sight of God. But some sins are more heinous than others by reason of several aggravations that may associate with those particular sins. So total depravity doesn't mean that man is as depraved as he could be. Neither does it mean that man cannot do relative good. As a matter of fact, here is a man who may not be a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, and he may do a very good job in providing materially for his family. And that, relatively speaking, is a good thing. But in the ultimate sense, as God judges the heart, even the best man, because of the inroads of sin, because of the the fact that the very nature of man has been changed by sin, Every inclination of the thoughts of man's heart are only evil all the day. That is, every impulse is to sin. And it's only veiled because of the reins that God's grace has to hold man back from doing as much evil as he would do in the world. Now, in that context, why should God save anybody? And in that context, how could it be that God would save anybody? And the answer to that, as was prayed so well earlier, is by God's grace. By God's mercy and by God's grace. You remember when Jesus stood before the tomb of Lazarus? And you remember how he said, Would anyone in the grave wish to come forward? He's standing in front of a graveyard. Anyone desiring to come forward, let him please come forward. What's going to happen? Not many people are going to come forward. But when he says, Lazarus, come forward, then he came forward. And if he had called another name, another person would have come forward. Now that is particularity of grace. Men are dead in trespasses and sins. But God says to this one by name, come forward. He says to that one by name, come forward. He says to that one by name, come forward. And that's what you have 
as you are introduced to the person of Noah. God saw the wickedness of man's heart, that it was great in the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart were only evil all the day. But look at verse 8. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. What is grace? It's unmerited favor. It's an undeserved attention that God places on the individual. Hallelujah. Give thanks. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ tonight, it's because God called you by name. And God said, I want that one. He's one rotten apple in the middle of that barrel of rotten apples, but I want that one. Our question should not be, why is it that God doesn't save anyone? Our question should be, why is it that God saves anyone? And when God saves you, you should say, Give glory to God for his grace to me. It should mean also that you should never become discouraged in praying for that hardened sinner, a member of your family or someone with with whom you work. For the bigger they are, the harder they fall. Look at Paul the apostle. He was a murderer, hating the Christians, and Christ stopped him in the middle of the way and changed his life. Moses was a murderer. David was an adulterer and a murderer. Abraham was a worshiper of idols. And Noah was a man whose wickedness was so great in his heart that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart were only evil all the day. But God reached into his heart, called Noah by name, and saved him. Take heart. Be encouraged. Because the covenant of redemption has the power of God to draw men. So, interrelation with creation, first. Secondly, particularism in grace. And thirdly, as a third emphasis in the covenant with Noah, God deals with families. God in his covenant deals with families. Look at Genesis chapter 6, verse 18. Genesis 6, verse 18 beginning at the last phrase of verse 17, everything on the earth will perish, but I will establish my covenant with you. And you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. Mark that verse, Genesis 6, 18. That's the first time in the Bible that the word covenant is used. That's the first usage of the word covenant. And you notice that the first time it's used, there's a reference to the family. You and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you are to be saved. That's emphasized in chapter 7, verse 1. The Lord said to Noah, go into the ark, you and your whole family, because I have found you righteous in this generation. That's not because I have found y'all righteous, but it's because I have found you righteous. Then all of your family is to go into the ark. And that's the covenant. Look at chapter 7 again, verses verse 7 and 13. Verse 7, And Noah and his sons and his wives and his sons' wives entered into the ark to escape the waters of the flood. Verse 13, On the very day Noah and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, together with his wife and the wives of his three sons, entered into the ark. 
Chapter 8, verses 16 and 18. Then God said, said to Noah, Come out of the ark, you and your wife, and your sons and your wives. Now, obviously, the sons and the wives are going to come out also. But God is here underscoring the fact that his covenant is with the families. Verse 18 of chapter 8, So Noah came out together with his sons and his wives and his sons' wives. And chapter 9, verse 9, I now establish my covenant with you and your seed after you. Live it. Believe it. Work it. God in covenant binds himself with you and your family. Pray it through. Teach your children with the expectation that they too one day will call on the Lord for salvation. What a great covenant it is. And every time you see the rainbow, in the midst of the bloated rain clouds threatening judgment, you can remember the wonders of the grace of God in the covenant with Noah. Let us pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that your ways are higher than our ways and your thoughts higher than our thoughts. We cannot attain unto the wonder of your grace and mercy to sinful men, but we ask you that you will continue to be patient with us, that you will continue to teach us, and you will continue to provide for us the grace that we need day by day. Help us, O Heavenly Father, to lay hold of the great promises that you've given us in your covenant and also to fulfill those great obligations by your help that you have given us in this covenant. Bless us now with your presence as you have promised that you will never leave us nor forsake us. For we ask in Christ's name, amen.